Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host, and I am honored once again by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. The Business Creators Radio Show is from the field, and we take you where you go to have those aha moments and mastermind meetings that can transform your trajectory and bring you closer to your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Dang, that's pretty good. Somebody should be recording this. Thank goodness they are. And you can subscribe to Business Creators Radio Show on pretty much any network. We're on just about all of them at this point. So at any rate, you may occasionally hear a little bit of ambient noise in the background. We don't have a $25,000 Hollywood quality soundproof stereo, nor do we want one. Sometimes I do these episodes from public places. Today, we're doing it from the living room, my apartment here in Las Vegas, the hottest city in America. And I am accompanied on this end by our two feline office assistants, Princess Alessandra and Princess Stella. And dialing in is somebody I've been looking to connect with for a while. His name is David Jaffe. Let me tell you about him. He was Amazon's first global vice president of customer service and is the founder and president of Driva Solutions, which is a consultancy dedicated to creating highly effective customer service or customer contact strategies and operations. He has more than 35 years experience advising and directing major operations in more than 160 leading companies. And part of the reason he's here today is he's the co-author, along with Bill Price, of a book called The Frictionless Organization, Deliver Great Customer Experiences with Less Effort. Also author of the bestseller, The Best Service is No Service, Your Customer Rules. We are going to have ourselves a very interesting conversation. Let's get right to it. David Jaffe, come on in. The weather's fine. Oh, thanks. Thanks, Adam. And and I'm, I'm talking you, to you from Melbourne, Australia. So this may be, I don't know how often you get Australians onto your uh, onto your uh, broadcast, but uh, it's great surprised. to be here. Um, we're at the other end of the day, um, of course. It's actually, uh, I'm actually a day ahead of you, I think. It's already our uh, our Thursday to your Wednesday or whatever it is. So um, Yeah, I, I, lose, I lose track all the time myself, and you'd be surprised how many Australians we've had. We've had a lot, and some of them even live in Australia. Oh, cool. So uh, yeah. uh, there you go. So before we dive in, I just read off yeah. part of your bio. It's uh, so impressive that I'm not sure I'm worthy to be here. And this is my show. Uh, I'm not sure I'm worthy to be in your presence. So what we want you to do is tell us a bit about your journey in your own words and what's brought you to where you are here today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Right. Well, well, Bill and I uh, have have worked together uh, now for nearly 20 years. Um, So some of what you described in that that resume is actually Bill's profile. Bill Bill was the first... uh, first ever VP of customer service for Amazon. Okay. Uh, and Bill and I Bill and I have actually written books together now, Bill Price, for 
this is our third book together. So those three books you mentioned are, are all ones we've written um, together. Right. Um, and, and we now uh, have both moved into consultancy and have been consultants and run our own consulting businesses for nearly 20 years. Yours is um, Lionbridge, Australia. That's right. Correct. See, now, correct. So now it's really going to stand out. This will probably be the first time on the Business Creators Radio Show I've ever actually read off the incorrect bio. But you know what? Part of the beauty of podcasting is it's meta marketing, and you embrace the mistakes and have fun with them. So let's get back <laughs> to talking <laughs> about you. No, knowing that you founded great, no, Lionbridge. Great Adam. great, Adam, that you got to that you know got to hear about Bill because I would have introduced Bill anyway because I think yeah. it's always important that we we talk about you know. How we, how we came together and 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 why we why we've been writing these books. So as you mentioned, our first book together was called "The Best Service Is No Service," and that was coming from I think Bill's passion originally when he joined Amazon about uh, you know how he even got the job. Uh, so believe it or not, he you know, he had an interview directly with Jeff Bezos. This is this was we're talking over twenty years ago now, and uh, Bezos asked him, you know, what's your philosophy about customer service? Because uh, he was, you know, interviewing for this position of global VP of customer customer care, and Bill said, "Well, I think customer care should be trying to put itself out of business." And and this got Bezos's attention. You know, what do you mean? What do you mean? And um, and Bill and Bill said, "Well, you know, customer service doesn't cause the problems that customers cause call about. They, we're just there to fix them. And therefore, what we need to do is work with the rest of the business." To try and understand, you know, what's gone on, what's gone wrong, and how we can get rid of these things once and for all. And so, I think that's why he got the job. Um, and he spent three to four years, as I say, some years ago, uh, working on putting in place the sort of building blocks of Amazon's um, customer care operations and, and how they thought about these problems and how they tried to tackle them. And then that led in once he once he left Amazon and created his own consulting firm, and, and we created this alliance of of 10 firms around the world, including mine in Australia and his in America, um, we, we started working together on these, these problems across the board. Uh, and then in about 2005, six, we suddenly had this idea of writing a book together. We thought we should write some of this down because we couldn't understand why so many businesses weren't thinking this way. You know, why we're so busy dealing with the problems that we don't ask, why are they there? We're so busy trying to find the next person to answer the calls or the emails or, or deal with the chats. They were not saying, hang on, what's what's really going on here? You know, why why are these customers don't want to call us? I think I think the the second sentence in our first book was no one wakes up in the morning wanting to ring their utility. Right? We've got right. better things to do. Um, and so that was the philosophy of the best service is no service. Some people seem to like that idea. I mean, some people misunderstood it. Sometimes we got to we got abuse online for what do you mean the best service in those offers? I want someone, you know, to come to my table when I when I've got a problem or in a restaurant. Or we say, no, hang on a minute. Wouldn't you you prefer that the you know the food is what you expected? It's hot, it's tasty, and you don't need to call somebody over because there's a problem. Um, you know, so even even in that sort of restaurant setting, the idea still applies. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Like I don't want to be, I don't want to have to go back and forth five times on the food. And I've had exactly. some issues. I've had some issues with the place where I rent right now, and uh, the management company saying that uh, I keep stopping by their office and asking the same question over and over again. And I said, uh, oh, no. And yeah. I said, number one, if I wasn't getting different answers every time, I'd stop asking. And number two, yeah. if I was getting the service that, that I that I'm paying for then you wouldn't see me at all. In fact, I'd prefer not to see you. 
Exactly. And that's where yeah. it gets really interesting, Adam, because some sometimes people challenge Bill and I and say, well, oh, hang on a minute, you know, we, we get such great net promoter scores or customer sat uh-huh. ratings when we fix a problem. You know, in fact, it's 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 our high they're our highest rating customers. And we, we call that recovery theory. You know, the idea that if you have a problem and you fix it well, customers love you. Well, that's true. It is. But of course, the, the sort of logical extension of that is so do you make more problems so that you can make customers happier? I mean, it just it's kind of a nonsense when you think about it that way to say, okay, so we make more problems because customers are happy. And, and it's, a, it's a kind of weird uh, measurement uh, phenomenon, phenomena that develops that, of course, immediately after having something fixed up well, we are very grateful and we, are, we do rate companies well for doing that. But the funny thing is very few, cust- very few organizations survey their customers who never have to deal with them uh, or, or ask their customers, okay, so we dealt with that well, you like us, but would you have preferred it not to happen? No one ever asked the question, right? And, and so um, we've had, there's actually quite a body of research that shows that in organizations where problems don't occur, customers are more loyal are prepared to spend more and actually do rate them well, not as highly as, you know, after I immediately have that sort of, uh, that sort of sugar high of, oh, you just fixed my problem. Um, but often are the most profitable uh, and the most yeah. loyal customers. So we still think the philosophy holds, even though at times people object to it. Oh, I get, oh, I get it perfectly. Uh, you know, yes. it's funny. It's funny looking at it from a service provider's perspective that, yeah. If you are having to spend time on customer service, you're already irritated. If if you have empathy and you have integrity, you're already irritated that you screwed up. And now when you could be fixing it, you have to spend more time addressing it. Correct. It's like uh, yeah. now I have now I have a way of that I recommend people deal with that, which is and I'll paraphrase it. There's actually a bit yeah. more floweriness to it. But the idea is you say that, look, I think we can stipulate at this point that um, if you keep, if you want to keep me on the line and keep going through emails, going, looking for an aha gotcha moment, you're eventually going to find one. And the bottom line mm-hmm. is, is uh, this is where you feel you are. That is where you feel you should be. And between the two is the gap. So what if we focus right now on closing that gap? getting you mm. satisfied, and then afterwards we can have all the post-mortem you need. Yeah, but you're right. We're not advocating – you're absolutely right, Adam. We're not advocating in any of our books that, that on the call, that the, the person handling the problem or on the email is there to, is there to investigate the root cause and fix the root cause. It's, it's, right. That's not what we employ frontline service people to do. Yes. Right? They're, like there to, they're there to fix this instance and to get that customer back on the – back on the happy path, if you like, whatever, whatever that looks like. Um, and obviously there's, there's a degree of empowerment we need to give them and we don't want to put too many barriers in their way, which we also talk about um, in, in uh, particularly our new book. Um, so let me, let, me, let me then roll forward and say, well, how did we get from best services, no service as a book, which, you know, again, we, we were very happy that people often, a lot of organizations did kind of get it and adopt that philosophy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and, and of course, people like uh, Elon Musk talk about it, but in a different way, you know, his, yeah. his idea, he actually uses that phrase, but of course, he means no car service, you know, I shouldn't need to service the car. Um, right. Because well, in a, that, way, you know, in a way, that's not, the, that's not that far off, because think about yeah. it. Do you yeah, buy, do yeah. you buy a car because you want to take it into service? Do you buy a car because you want exactly. to drive it? Yeah. 
And every, every service is an annoyance and it, you know, it means yeah. I, I haven't got a vehicle for two or three hours or whatever it is. So we actually would prefer even that is it still holds true. So so rolling rolling the clock forward, you know, why do we sit down and write another book? Are we, you know, gluttons for punishment? Um, the, the, so the, the few ideas behind the frictionless organization. One was the philosophy that we talk about, you know, there's this whole thinking about why the interactions are even there still holds good. But we felt like the world had become more complex for the for the customer and, and for many organizations that we're now dealing not just with phone calls and emails, but now we're dealing with web chat and we're dealing with social media interactions. Yep. And there's so so customers can can deal with organizations across many, we call them channels, you know, many different ways of of touching a business and the customer, which was making it harder for organizations to get their head around all the problems because they're popping up all over the place. So, secondly, we deliberately changed the title of the book, if there was a problem with our best services, no service title, um, it was that people, some organizations thought, oh, this is a problem for the service guys. You know, the book's called The Best Services, No Service, therefore it's services problem. And they still didn't get this idea that actually this is a whole of business problem, that if we're going to fix these problems, that it's probably not customer service that's going to fix them. Customer service is going to show us where the problems are, and then it's going to be billing or it's going to be product design or it's going to be uh you know the the web design guys who are going to fix things that customers are actually struggling with right and so um we we think the frictionless organization is a is almost like an aspirational strategy for business to say shouldn't you be trying to make yourselves frictionless because if you do there's so many benefits right customers are happier it costs less right we're not having to employ tens, fifteens, hundreds of people to deal with problems. We're not having to write stuff off or repair stuff or send out a repair crew or or deal with returns of, of things that aren't working or deal with, frust- you know, have to cancel orders because they didn't get there in time. All those things cost money, right? And if we can create a lower cost operation, then we can reinvest in other things for the customer, bit could be product discounts, could be um, you know spending time on customers in value add ways, you know showing them other products and services, all sorts of things. Um, so it's a it's a I think the media sometimes not yourself obviously, but you know sometimes newspapers and, and, and television um, stations portray the idea that any business is that is is cutting costs is hurting service. That you know we 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 would somehow hold back staff and don't have enough people to do the job and obviously in these particular times that's that's often the case but that that cost cutting must um, go be at the expense of the customer if you like and what we're saying here is if we tackle the right problems that we can cut costs and make life better for the customer right because we're getting rid of the annoyances we're getting rid of the things that don't work well we're delivering stuff on time we're we're making the customer's life easier and it actually takes work out of a business if we do it the right way does that make sense makes dollars and sense I, I mean frictionless is the way to go it goes back to what i said already there's a problem and now we have to spend time yeah. nurturing the problem i mean when i i mean i've been in situations where it seemed like they just wanted to tell stories and be upset about the fact that I was asking for the service I felt I was paying for. So there yeah. were times I would just, okay, you want to waste time? I'll really waste some time. And I would just I would yeah. just invent questions for them to answer just to take up more of their time, uh, just to demonstrate yeah. that they were more interesting in arguing over it than solving the problem. I was waiting for the part where they say, you know, uh, 
this time that we're having this conversation right now is actually time taken away from us being able to resolve this. I was waiting for that phrase exactly. and I never heard it. Exactly, exactly. I mean, as, you, as, as you're hinting out there, Adam, and we say resolution is all important in these interactions, right? That, why, why do we ring up as customers or why do we send an email? We want a problem solved. That's, but, you know, above everything else, you know, we're, we're prepared to wait a little bit of time and invest a bit of time if we get a problem solved, right? Yeah. So we totally agree with that. And, and we talk in the book about, you know, sort of two mechanisms that help deal with that or two strategies. One is, one is to um, try and simplify those interactions that we do have to have. So make them as yeah. simple as we can and as streamlined right. as we can. Right. And as you hinted again, we get the double win there because, you know, less time spent on something for the customer or less effort um, is also less time spent on it by the business, right? Um, but, but sometimes businesses don't always recognize the time customers are investing because they might measure part of it. So you might measure, you know, the handling time that an operator spends, you know, dealing with you, the customer. But we haven't measured all, all the time the customers invested up to that point to navigate the website, to find the contact details, to, to put together their email or, or navigate a complicated, you know, voice response system and all that stuff. So we actually need to think about the totality of the customer's effort as well as the workload that it creates within the business. Um, and, and that can help us think about you know, where opportunities are as well. So we, we yeah. say the first thing we need to do in, across all of this, if you like, the first chapter of, of uh, the book is to understand what's going on today. Because if, if we're right that the definition of friction should be any interaction that a customer has with a business that they really don't want to have and that the business doesn't want to have, then actually we've already got a, a whole load of data on that in most businesses. We should already understand why customers are having to send emails, why customers are ringing up, why customers are, uh, are having to chat with us on the website because they don't understand things, all those things. But it's hard now. In theory, it's harder because there's more, as I said earlier, there's more ways we can interact as customers. But in some ways, there's now some fantastic tools and right. technology capabilities that didn't exist 10, 15 years ago. Um, to actually make sense of all that. So rather than have, you know, the people you deal with um, in the customer care operations or in, in the, you know, in the, in the branch or the frontline area that you're, you're, you're face to facing, um, have to log, you know, what was this about and why did, why did the customer have to do this? There's now great analytical tools that you can rent and buy and, and, and source that help you um, classify all that stuff. Um, right. So we can put the analytics engines and things like that to work to start to give us a continuous picture of what's going on out there. What are these points of friction? What are customers having to deal with? How much are they really costing? Right? How, how often are customers having to do this to repeat their activity, as you described? You know, how, how often does Adam have to go in four times to get one thing done? Right? Yeah. Believe it or not, most, many organizations struggle to track that. They don't know. And, and we're saying, well, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to understand it because then the priorities become much clearer. And therefore, chapter two of the book talks about, well, how do you prioritize and how do you assign or make the right people accountable? Because, again, it's not the customer, not the people fielding the inquiries or fielding the problems who are necessarily the cause. Very unlikely. Most of the time, it's some other area of the business and we've got to bring them to the table. And that typically means quite a lot of sponsorship or support from uh, executives and organizations. So in, in, a, in a startup business, and I know you, you know you have a lot of listeners who are in those kinds of businesses, hopefully it's a bit easier to get your hands around the problem because, you know, we're a slightly smaller organization and, we, and we're more connected 
to the things going on with customers. We might, you know, a startup business might be both the the head of billing and the head of customer service all in one, right? And so they, they, yeah, they hopefully right. have that connectedness. But it, the, the more you grow, the more we start to lose that connection because now you have a dedicated customer service team and they're separate and maybe they're in a new different building now or, you know, maybe we've gone offshore to go and, you know, try and find some cheap labor to, to try and do some of these things and we're even less connected to it. Uh, and and that's I think that's one of the reasons why over the last 20 or 30 years, as customers, we're, we're not that much happier because <laughs> a lot of businesses chose those kind of shortcuts and said, oh, I can, I can, I can get it done cheaply in Manila. I can get it done, you know, there's some guys in India to help me do this and they'll, they'll you know, they'll cost a lot less. And the business took the dollars but, but didn't look at what was that doing to the customer um, through the experience and how often they not get that resolution and how often is it taking them longer and they're having to explain more and all those things. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, it reminds me of um, something. Uh, this is similar to the topic. There are times when I need to uh, I need to go to the local branch of my bank to yeah. deposit handwritten checks. Wow. All okay. right. Yeah. Okay. So, here, so I get there, and there'll be a line almost all the way out the door. Right. And meanwhile, there are only two teller stations open, one of which... Uh, yeah. For some reason, you have five people trying to help one person, and the others is obviously being monopolized by a chatty, catty, chatty, catty, Kathy customer. Uh, right. So what happens? You have all these people standing in line, and then you have other people who work for the bank branch coming down the line asking, uh, "What are you here to do today? What are you here to do today?" And the usual yeah. answers are, "I'm here to," uh, or as follows. One of which is, "Well, I'm here to withdraw money today," and they'll say. Yeah, did you know that you can make that withdrawal from the ATM right here? They'll say, mm -hmm. your ATM only serves 20 and 50s. I need $100 huh. bills. I need $2 bills. I need coins. Therefore, I need the yeah. teller. Okay. So then yeah. they ask the next person, and the next person says, well, I'm here to make, I'm here to make this deposit. And then they say, did you know that you can make your deposit using the ATM right there? And they'll say, and then the customer will say, if I wanted to use the ATM to make the deposit, I could have used that one. I could have used the three in your lobby. I could have used the one in your drive-through. I could have used the one outside my grocery store. I'm here yeah. because I want to use a teller to make my deposits. And then yeah. another round of employees coming down. Now they're trying to sell mortgages and financial investments to people who just <laughs> want to make deposits and withdrawals. Now, there's a there's a crazy solution to this. It's 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 unbelievably simple. You got a line of people out the door who just need to make simple, basic withdrawals and deposits. So, A, you dedicate an express window, express withdrawals mm -hmm. and deposits only. That means only come to this window if you're withdrawing or depositing. And the word express means have your stuff together and chatty yeah. Kathy, go somewhere else. Yeah. We're here to process these people through. And here's the other one. Once you've determined that just because you mentioned that your bank happens to offer mortgages, it's not going to cause the people in line to just spontaneously break down and decide to buy the house. Yeah. But <laughs> people going around asking questions over and over again. What are you here for? What are you here for? Well, now that you know, having asked real-time yeah. customers in your branch today what they're here for, and they keep saying withdrawals, deposits, then get your ass behind the counter, open some more windows, and start doing deposits and withdrawals. That's what they're here for today. You're more likely 
to get your mortgages and your investments sold if they feel they have a positive experience today just getting Aunt Molly's $75 check in the bank. Yeah, I, I, I hear your frustration, Adam, and I, and, yeah. I, and, I, and I can see all the, you know, all the, I can, I can, I can sense the, yeah. the, what the, what the banks have tried to do behind that. I'm not, I'm not saying I support it. So clearly, you know, virtually every organization has this idea of they want their customers to do more on digital these days. And we I'm know selling, that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, no, 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 sorry. Let's, let's put the upselling to one side for a second, okay? Let's okay, just talk about bad. the transactional stuff. And they, they yeah. want us all to go online and do stuff. They want us all to use the technology they've provided. And, um, and you know, it, it, there's a clear benefit to some of that a lot of the time. And there's a benefit to us, the customer, a lot of the time, because it is convenient. And if we don't have to leave home to deposit the check or, or do or to transfer money, then, then we kind of win. We have, we, the customers, had a win out of that. The, but the issue for me is, okay, if if you're you know if, if you've got physical checks, then there's potentially no other way to do it. So of course they should continue to support that if that's a, a legitimate mechanism that uh, and a legitimate need. And of course they should think about um, streamlining the process within a within a branch so that you know there is a fast transaction window and a slow transaction window, if you like, or or ways to organise around that. Just like you know if you go to well organised you know, a sandwich bar, someone takes the orders and someone else makes the sandwiches, right? Right. You know, and and that's that's an example of a sort of streamlined process that works well because you don't want people, you know, going from the till, having to put a pair of gloves on, then getting the bread out and, you know, it's, it just adds time to every process. So you, you're you're asking for a, a reasonable thing by saying how can we streamline and organise? But to do that, as you, you, you're also hinting at, chapter one of our book because you're saying we need to understand we need to understand the nature of those transactions and i'd even challenge and say can we go one layer deeper and ask why the person who's not using the atm for deposits isn't using it right there's 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 we haven't got to the cause yet and the cause might be because i want a handwritten you know receipt or uh, or, you know, I had a bad experience once because this happened and I'm, and, and I'm fearful that that might happen again, that, you know, I put some money in and I didn't, you know, and then I had to dispute the transaction because it never showed up or there's some reason why that isn't working, right? Let me, let me give an example of that. It's quite an old example now. Um, uh, there was a, a bank in the, in the UK where people use those, do you remember passbooks, you know, those sort of books where you used yeah, to... Act as a running sort of um, statement of your of your transactions and things. Yep. And uh, this particular financial institution had lots of customers use those, and therefore they wouldn't go to the ATM, right? Because the ATM wouldn't print in their passbook and give the record of the transaction and all that. Until they they suddenly realised, well, why can't you know we create an ATM that deals with passbooks? Why can't we print in their book? And Voila! You know they they worked with their technology provider, created a created a a machine that could print in the passbook, update the passbook as a teller would, and guess what? Customers started using it. And there was another great example related to that where older customers didn't weren't comfortable using sometimes using uh, ATMs because uh, they you know put their card in, and if they couldn't remember their PIN, if they had a, you know, a senior moment, if you like, um, the machine would swallow the card, right? Yeah, um, I remember and, that. And suddenly, you're, suddenly you haven't got a card, and suddenly you can't get access to your bank account. So it created this fear of the technology. But 
the usability fix was a simple one. They 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 turned it from a, a a swallowing machine to a swiping machine, so that the customer kept the card, whatever happened. And suddenly that fear went away. So all, all I'm using those stories to illustrate is that if we get deep enough into understanding what it is that's stopping our customers using t- certain types of technology, maybe we can find a solution, right? I mean, there's, uh, I, I'm seeing now technology solutions for things that I didn't think were going to be possible via self-service. So we have institutions now in Australia who um, rather than we have to go into if, <laughs> doing certain types of security checking to, to um, get certain government services, I might have yeah. previously had to go into a physical outlet with my passport, my driver's license, a whole bunch of identity stuff, right? Um, and now some of these services are provided online with smart technology that can can read my passport via a photo, can match it to my driver's license, can go access databases to check that this is all legitimate, can then match it to a, a photo I've taken on my phone of myself to check that I am that person and do all these kind of things without even leaving home. Right. So the technology is moving on so fast that we, we are going to um, have more self-service available to us that will be convenient. And, and I think part of the trick is organizations have to share this benefit with the customer. If they try and take all the benefits for themselves, like to get all the cost savings and things like that, and there's no no sharing in any way of, or no legitimate benefit for the customer, then why will we want to adopt those things? Right, yeah, but right. if it is more convenient and if it, and it's reasonably easy to use, then we are potentially happy to do it. Um, but if it's if it's making work for us, the customer, then we will resent it, and we won't want to adopt it. So what what that person walking the line is trying to do, as you, as you've already identified, is 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 move customers to available types of self service technology where possible. Yeah. But, but is that is that when, when there's such a long line and that person could be serving customers and getting rid of the queue altogether, you know, is it the right trade-off? And I, I think you're right to ask the question. Um, well, and you, saying, bring up, yeah. Yeah, you bring up something too. Uh, a lot of times when it comes to like depositing checks, that can be done through mobile apps. However, yeah. mobile apps for depositing checks have really become fairly good only within the past couple of years. I remember I used to have a lot of problems with it. and. Uh, and they kept swearing the app works. The app, no, it doesn't. Uh, and uh, that I finally started to see some more success with it. But the thing is, is um, is Aunt Polly is still going to write you a check. Yeah, it's yeah. still it's still going to be in her 1920s handwriting. And yeah. the perception, whether it's accurate or not, I haven't even tested this. Is the mobile app scanner to deposit the check ain't going to pick it up? Yeah. Or, the, yeah, no, or, exactly. or, or, so got, we, yeah, and then you yeah. have the perception that, oh, yeah, I can go to the I can go to the ATM. I can just type in the total number of my deposits, stick it in an envelope and all is well. But there are still enough stories of people getting their money frozen because, oh, somebody couldn't read the check. Yeah, those are perceptions so, you got to work on going back to what you said. Yeah. And, and I say that on those glitches and those exceptions. Um, and and, and let, let me talk about another type of technology, and we, we talk about this in the book as well, which is, you know, and, and let me explain the sort of business perspective and then the, the customer perspective with it. And that's, you know, this idea of chatbots now. So when you yeah. often when you go and chat on a website, what, what a lot of big organizations want to do is have, have some kind of automation deal with that request first. And sometimes they're, you know, first thing, the, the 
first thing they have to be is transparent and say, look, I am a chatbot. I am going to try and handle this first. So at least we're aware of that and we don't think we're really chatting with a person when we're not, right? Because I think we all resent that straight away. So I'm right. like, why did you deceive me and claim there was going to be someone on the other end of this and then there isn't? So, the, you know, firstly, some transparency. Look, I'm a chatbot. I can deal with 30% of your inquiries. If I don't succeed, I will get you to someone quickly, right? We're, we're probably all prepared to, to make that investment and give that a go. Sure. Now, the other thing I mentioned there deliberately was that, you know, I said 30% or maybe it's 20% because typically the chatbots can, can't do everything. They can, and typically we're now talking that they, they might only be able to do 20, 30, 40% of, of what you're requesting, right? And they are trying to use AI to make them smarter and smarter so that they increase. But that means that 70 to 80% of people are failing with that chatbot. So, so you're going to say, so I as an, an institution am prepared to put all my customers through experience through this experience and 70 to 80% of them are going to fail. That's a really interesting equation, isn't it? So what, why yeah. are companies doing that, right? Well, companies are doing that because the 20 or 30% that succeed, it's completely automated and therefore virtually free for the business, right? So the yeah. business case is outstanding. The, 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 the return on that investment if I look at the pure dollars and cents, is outstanding for the business. But the, cust- the net customer return is not so good. And, and few organizations weigh that up and go, am I prepared to eliminate 20% of, of, tran- of manned transactions but deal with the fact that 80% of people will fail? Right? That's the real equation we've got to weigh up. I don't like those. So, I don't like yeah. those odds one bit. And I mean, one of the things I, you know, yeah. I'd like to see chatbots used more for is the utility company, whether it's the electric company, the gas company, the internet company. So let's say, let's say, for example, I'm here and uh, I'm kind of a nocturnal creature. So I may be working on a project really late. So I've got a project that's due tomorrow. It's 1230 AM. I know I got about two hours to wrap this up and then, and then things are going to be good. And all of a sudden the internet goes out. You want to know what yeah. I want to know at 12.30 in the morning before yeah. the project is due? I want to know how long is the internet going to be out? When's it going to be back on? Yeah, absolutely. But yet, but yet I have to jump through 25 different hoops. Uh, it's not always as bad, but I will tell you one example. of yeah. I, called the, I called the internet service provider, and they said they wouldn't help me until I went through the entire process of trying to reboot my router. And I said, I've already... <laughs> done this i know oh, how I say, and then they said we are not allowed to help you until you do this I said the internet is out you're not going to be able to access the router but i'll play your game and they said oh yeah. we can't seem to reach your router because the internet is like no shit sherlock really <laughs> so i tried to tell you 10 minutes ago i i called uh, looking for uh, two things i looked i looked for two things. That, that, confirmation yeah. you know the internet's out and an ETA and when it's back on, so I can plan around it. That's all I need. So if That's you can, right. ma- so if you can make a chatbot that can solve those inquiries, think about the internet company. I bet you that might be fifty percent of their phone calls, and and the right. next thirty percent might be where do I go to pay my bill? Exactly. So, so the interesting, we we talk about that kind of scenario in the book. We talk we talk about it in a chapter we call preempt, right? Yeah. Which is. But preemptive strategies is not it's not for you know sometimes organizations are overdoing it these days and they're trying to sort of predict your next problem and things like that. But we're saying when something does go wrong, 
like internet outage, like electricity outage, like, you know, those things, things will go wrong. We all know things will go wrong. There'll be storms. There'll be, you know, some more cuts a cable. We can't, no one can, no one can help those things. Right. But in those, in those situations, organizations, once they know about it, they have the technologies now to reach out to customers really quickly through text messages, through emails, through, you know, and obviously sending you an email when the internet's down is not going to help you very much, right? But sending you a text message w- w- that keeps you informed is useful, right? Um, say, look, as soon as they knew about the outage, if they could have said you something to say, we know the, we, you know, we know our service is down in your area. Our best guess at the moment is we, we hope to have the service back up and running by, you know, 4 a.m. Yep. That answers yeah, the, that answers want. the two questions because remember I had two exactly. questions. A, are you guys aware there's an outage? Yes, exactly. B, what's your ETA? Knowing that it's an estimate. That's what the E stands yeah. for. Estimate. And they could even go further. They could even say, and we'll give you another update at three a.m. if if the situation changes. So you know, you know, you you, you feel in control, and and. The, the reason we wrote a chapter called Preempt is because the, you know the technologies to do this are very mature. They're you know they're everybody they're cheap to use. I mean, sending out a, a text broadcast to a million customers hardly costs you a thing, right? Compared in the old days, you know you couldn't have got on the phone and rung a million customers. Um, you, you'd still be there next year, right? Um, but now you can do those things in seconds. Uh, so we're saying, so why aren't we? You know, why aren't we? And, and aren't we? In, in the book, we use good and bad stories. So we, we illustrate some companies who are doing those things, right? Um, just like when we have a bad, when, when airlines, you know, have delays and, and things, you know, you've got to put the customer in control um, of being able to make decisions about what's going to happen in their life. If I know a flight's going to be now delayed by three hours, I want to know so I can rearrange some meetings or tell my wife I won't make it home to dinner or, you know, or cancel my theater tickets or whatever it is, right? Yeah. Um, and and so and those preemptive strategies are now possible, right? And they're another type of a way of avoiding those kind of frictions. And we we as you said, if you'd had that experience, Adam, where they they sent you a text and they updated you, you'd have been grateful. You'd have felt, wow, this company cares about me. Just to be able to go to a bot and uh, say, I think my internet's down, and get a response that says outages have been reported in the Las Vegas area. Estimated time to get it back on is three hours. Okay. That answers my two questions. You guys know yeah. it's down, and when do you think it's going to be up, so I can plan around yeah. it. Exactly. So, so that's an example of a preemptive strategy. And yeah. then uh, I've already talked about some elimination ideas, and that's another yes. chapter where we say that that's that's getting rid of situations where you've said it doesn't work. Where is it? Uh, how come you haven't? I don't understand. All those types of things where we that there's species of complaint, really, right? And some and sometimes to get to the root cause of those and fix those in any kind of business is actually quite hard work. We've got to go. So why why are some of our deliveries not getting there in time? Why right. uh, why are some of our products failing when we thought we would design the perfect product? You know why do customers not understand this aspect of their account? You know so there's there's quite a lot of but but if we can get to those root causes and fix them again we just we just wipe out bits of work. Right. Um, yeah. Then we talked about digitized strategies, and we said, "Yeah, it's it's got to be if it, if it is more convenient for the customer and it's and it's and makes their life easier, we will adopt those things." And yes, we have to educate sometimes. Sometimes we do have to walk the line in the branch to to make sure people realize what's available to them. Right. Yeah. Um, 
and, and sometimes we do have to use even our frontline staff to say, did you realize you could have done that online, you know, um, or have, have you had to use the app or have you seen the new feature we just rolled out that you didn't know was there, <laughs> right? So we sometimes yeah. have to do some of the education as well. Otherwise, how would customers know? Um, right, I, right. And, I, about- and I can see the other side of that, other side of yeah. that too. But, uh, but after about the third or fourth time going down the line, which is what I witnessed one time, yeah. it's like, yeah, yeah I think you, you guys should be, starting to get the point here oh exactly and, we, and, we and, we... yeah and, and then going to your point is well if you're not getting people to use the atm to make withdrawals why is that is it because it only makes available 20 dollars bills and 50 dollars bills what if we added one dollar bills two dollar bills five dollar bills ten dollar yeah. bills you think we might get hundred dollar bills you think we might be able to get more withdrawals that way bet your ass you would what if we were to educate people that yeah that handwritten check is scannable we have a 97 percent accuracy rate so yeah. try it see if it works and yeah. we in between those two things you probably get a lot of people out of that line so in one uh, case absolutely. we're looking and, at and, fixing the technology and the other we're looking at uh countering a perception and creating a new perception yeah and, and an example of that it will be quite an old one now is that the new york uh motor vehicle district used to Used to, ran a series of um, uh, almost ad campaigns saying skip the trip, you know, skip the trip to the office, as in we'll, we'll show you how to do some of these things online now, right? Yeah. Um, you know, so I think that was a very smart strategy. It's like you, you have to educate. You have to show customers how it is things, things are now possible. But they have to work well as well, Adam. And, and in the chapter we write about digital strategies, we do talk about, you know, there's, there's often three different problems. One is, Digital services are provided, but they're not working that well. So we need to understand, you know, where, where they're creating new issues for the customers or customers don't understand them or they're not intuitive or they're badly designed, right? So we need to fix those things up. The second the second related digital strategy is where um, we're actually missing some services that customers want. So that could be your yeah. example of, yeah, we want dollar bills, we want $100 bills, and we haven't provided that capability. Yeah. And the third is, where customers are just not aware and need to be educated on what is now possible and, and how to use it. So we're getting more from what we've already created as a digital service and, and trying to, but, but doing it in a smart way. We don't say like, con, you know, there's nothing we hate more than on every call. Someone says, oh, have I told you about our internet service? It's like, if, if you told me about that on the last call and the one before that and the one before that, I'm already annoyed. Yeah. So we've yeah. got to be smarter at doing that. It's like, so it's like, Maybe we, you know, there, there should be a flag in the in the CRMs of these businesses saying education has already been done, right? Right. Don't do it again. Don't waste their time. Don't waste your time. But you know, the reasons that happens is because these companies bake it into their process and bake it into their quality monitoring systems and said you have to educate the customer on every call, and so you get this really ineffective way of doing that. Oh, did you know we have an internet service that? You know, it's like yeah, I heard it. 15 times before. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And it gets annoying, doesn't it? If you do well, it. Well, what, what it also leads to, and I've been on the receiving end of this a couple of times, is uh, you're calling in because you're having a problem. This is the fourth yeah. time you've called. Uh, I'll give you the example. Uh, a, um, a, a previous client of mine was, owned a bunch of internet domains, and he was donating one of those domains to a local charitable organization. My client used uh, one registrar. We'll call them Registrar A, mm-hmm. and uh, the and the uh, recipient organization uh, used Registrar B. So Registrar yeah. A, you know, 
I was trying to contact Registrar A on behalf of my clients to get the settings changed so that the domain could be transferred with entering the auth codes. Anybody knows about transferring yeah, yeah, domains yeah. where registrars know what I'm talking about. Uh, and they kept giving me all kinds of grief. It seemed like no matter what, there was always more information they needed. There was something else. It's like I'm, I'm on my fourth or fifth call about that. And it was to the point where they were expecting my client to interrupt his multi-million dollar business to personally get on a phone call and say his mother's maiden name when I had already given him his mother's maiden name. For Christ's sake, I had a, for Christ's sake, he gave me a social security number that uh, yeah. indicates a level of trust in me to handle this yeah. business, reflected by the large amount of money he was paying for the service. Mm. So, so Registrar A, uh, having you know, I'm now at four phone calls to them over the course of the week. They say, "Well, okay, so you're trying to you're trying to give this uh, domain to this organization that uses Registrar B. Why don't they just?" come become our customers at registrar a and i said i'm calling to complain about your service not ask yeah. for more of it on behalf of somebody i've never met <laughs> it's amazing isn't it now i'm going to as i had to listen to another sales pitch and finally two calls later my my client got on the line uh, you know, they, you know, we came in and conferenced in, and as soon as he, you know they were where he's connected, he said his mother's maiden name and then hung up. Yeah, oh, it's good. I mean, what, what you're describing there, Adam, is is organizations sometimes just don't recognize you have to earn the right to have certain other conversations. Yeah, and so, that, yeah, and, and yeah. this goes back to the reason that reason it occurred to me is I heard. You say that organizations sometimes required to go through education. Well, trying to upsell your service is a form of education. So they exactly. the people on the front lines, like for all I know, that representative at uh, registrar might be saying, you know, this is total bullshit. There's no reason. The guy gave us his client's mother's maiden name. We should just release the damn thing. But no, I got to try and get him to get this other company to become our client. And then I got to yeah. educate him on security procedures. He's already been through it five times, but they're <laughs> listening and they'll fire me if I don't do it. Yeah. But so, so these standard identity processes are just becoming more and more problematic for customers. And, yeah. and unfortunately, you know, you got the other side of it, I'm not defending these businesses because we sometimes think it's ludicrous as well is, yeah. is, you know, all the, all the, the fraud and the unfortunately the, the the organized crime that's trying to you know penetrate these systems and so you, unfortunately it's back to this idea of we're now having to put all customers through the exception treatment because of the odd fraudster or the odd bad guy somewhere in the system right right so we're having to say even though we really do know it's you you've still got to answer these four additional questions um, because of the risk that you know, occasionally someone steals your mobile phone or steals this and uh -huh. gets gets access to your identity, and that's and that's what's causing this 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 ugly problem that that we're having to use more and more mechanisms to identify customers before they can, we can even talk to them about stuff. I mean, let me tell one ludicrous story on that regard, which is oh, please you know, do. I, I know I know you've wanted to yeah. tell a story for almost entire conversation. <laughs> Lay it on me. I, I you know I, I'm live in Australia, but I, but I come from the UK originally and, I, and I've still got a bank over in Britain. And uh, I was trying to deal with them, you know, had to do some transactions with them. And I, so I rang yeah. up to, to do stuff and, and I, I kept failing ID. Right? And they'd asked me my date of birth and address and I knew all those things and I gave them the answers and I still failed. And, and the, the security systems are so tight that they can't, literally these, these questions have popped up one at a time 
to the to the age the agent you're dealing with, and they can't even see the account until you answer those questions correctly. Okay, so uh-huh. I failed. I couldn't get access to the account. So I go a few about it. You know, six months later, I'm over in Britain. So you know, loaded down with passports and identity documents to go into my bank branch to prove that I really am who I said I am. And uh, go up to the counter. You know, they said, "Okay, good, you've got access to your account, Mr. Jaffe. Great." Uh, and I said, by, by the way, um, what age do you have? You know, what date of birth do you have on your file for me? Uh, and, and the teller said, oh, we've got 1st of January 1900. I said, do I look 118 years old? or whatever? No, no, no. <laughs> you you, you don't work. look 119 years old. <laughs> exactly. And I, and I think you and I would know that that means that that date has been reset to zero. Right. Um, that's that, you know, first of January nineteen hundred is the that, that 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 that's a default date when you're transferring a ton of data exactly. from one system to the next. Exactly. Right. And it's not so letting and it's not is, letting them up, up, up upload the CSV unless that exactly. blank is filled in for every record. Go ahead. So so the um so I said, did you do a, any kind of data migration recently? And they said, Oh yeah, yeah, we've moved systems from this to this. And I said, Did some of the data births get wiped out? And she, she said, Yeah. I said, But you're still using them as identity checks, even though you know they've been wiped. You know, so this is how ludicrous it becomes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, so I, I could see the problem straight away. But then why wouldn't you have another bit of logic that just says, and if it's 19, 1st of January 1900, don't use this as an identity question anymore. Right. You know, so it's just lazy thinking and lazy programming. I mean, I, I mean, I knew I knew as, you, as soon as you told the story, because that's a standard protocol with developers uh, when it yeah. comes to transferring customer records where the date of birth is missing on some of them, but it will not accept the CSV unless that's filled in for every customer. For the ones where it's blank, they put one one nineteen hundred because it's supposed yeah. to be capped and obvious that that's a placeholder. Yeah. Exactly. But yeah, yeah. so it's, it's just a great story of, of how processes yeah. can get corrupted and you know you need to think these things through um and then you need to give me a workaround if like if that's what you've done anyway and so these are all good lessons i think for startup businesses because one of the other concepts we talk about in the book adam that i think your, your audience will find interesting is we we talk about another reason people need to do this strategy is the best companies who we uh, many of them we call innovators in the book are, the, are tend to be the newer businesses that are kind of set up to be frictionless, uh-huh. um, and, it, and and they're being successful because they've taken away some frictions in their industry. Um, and why we don't want to sing their praises universally, if we think about a an Uber and how different an Uber uh, transport experience is now compared to the old taxi experience, where I used to have to ring up and wait in a call center to get a booking and. I didn't know when the cab was going to come and, uh, you know, I had to fiddle around with my credit card before I left the cab and fill out paperwork and sign things. And I've had, I've had card fraud where, where, where rogue taxi drivers have, have used my card, you know, to try and fake transactions, all kinds of things, right? Compare that to the Uber experience of, you know, you make a booking, you can track the driver on their way to your, your house or your, wherever you're being picked up. Uh, you can talk to the driver directly. You can rate the driver. They rate you. Know, it's a completely different experience. And so they're an example of an innovator who's disrupted that industry through a better experience. And so if, if in contrast, the older style businesses, we call them renovators, if they don't start to do some of this stuff, potentially they go under, right? Because they, they, the, the newer businesses are starting with less legacy, with less 
complexity in their businesses and can design these experiences from the get-go to be better. I mean, that is why for all their, you know, some people may not like Amazon, but Amazon rate really well in terms of um, people's rating of their experiences. And they work at it continuously to try and make things better. Um, They really are obsessed with customers and they try and make it more and more streamlined and make everything work. Um, and, and a lot of businesses just don't have that philosophy, which we, 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 we kind of get and we talk about, well, why don't they? And sometimes it's because, you know, measurements and goals are kind of competing with that. Um, some, some companies just get fat, lazy and arrogant and think that, well, you know, they don't have to work at it anymore because they're the dominant whatever it is in their industry. Um, anyway, I, ho- I hope that is useful. Oh, that's that's extremely useful here. So uh, we are uh, near the top of the hour here, but there is just uh, one more thing I want to clarify, and this may seem like uh, sort of a, a left field thing, or maybe it's not. Uh, but there's one term in the notes that you gave me before yeah. we yeah. started this interview, and it's the term "whole of business." You may yeah. have mentioned this before, but if uh, if and if you are, I'm asking again. If you could be clear on what whole of business means. I think I know, and I think it's a great way to tie all this together. Uh-huh. Thanks, Adam. Yeah. So by whole of business, we, we, it's back to this issue that if we're right, that signs of friction are the interactions we're having with businesses that we don't want to have. We're saying to solve that problem, we need to involve multiple parts of the business and potentially the whole business, right? So right. that the place you look for the problems is the customer-facing parts of the business, be they contact centers, be they branches, be they you know, chat teams, be they email handling teams, right? But the place yeah. you look for the answers is much broader than that. So it might be the inventory management guys. It might be the guys in the warehouse who, who aren't shipping goods out on time. It might be the... Um, it might be the service providers who ship the goods for us, some of whom aren't working efficiently. It might be some outsourced provider of other things that isn't working well with us. It might be some of our suppliers who we need to get bring into the discussion because they're delivering late or they're, you know, they're shipping us faulty goods and we didn't even recognize it. So at one point, for example, just to give a further illustration of that, Amazon used to have a policy that if something got shipped back to them that was a new product that might be faulty, they would shut down sales of all those products until it was proven not to be faulty, right? So they would be yeah. happy to sacrifice revenue. So think, think about that. So that problem is rippling now from customer service, you've, you've got to return back to uh, product control somewhere and inventory control saying, hang on, don't let any more of those out of the warehouse, back to you know the, the manager of the relationship with the supplier who's got to go and have the conversation about is it faulty or not, we've got to test some more. But see how it ripples through the whole of the business. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. again, that's, that's all very important. So we're you know, at the top here, and I do encourage everybody, visit the website, frictionlessorg.com that's www.frictionlessorg.com and this is where you're going to discover the book the frictionless organization deliver great customer experiences with less ex- with less effort you've heard from david jaffe who's been with us for the past hour and you'll get to know both him and his co-author bill price go pick up your copy it's something i'm really looking forward to reading myself and You'll also find there uh, how you can connect with both of the authors on LinkedIn and also 
other ways that you can gain if this area of business development is something that is highly of interest to you today. So with that, David Jaffe, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor, believe me, in education. Oh, thank you, Adam. No, it's been great fun. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.